Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It's now time for Centered on Health with Baptist Health on News Radio 840 WHAS. Now, here's Dr. Wayne Tuxin. Hello, and welcome to another segment of Centered on Health with Baptist Health on News Radio 840 WHAS. I'm your host, Dr. Wayne Tuxon. Our phone number, if you'd like to be part of our conversation, is 502-571-8484. And you'll reach our producer, Mr. Jim Fenn, who's there in the studio, ready to take your calls. Tonight, we're going to be talking about COVID-19. In particular, we're going to be talking about why COVID testing is still important. You know, just as the military has the nuclear triad of land, sea, and air-launched nuclear weapons to maintain our national security, so do we have a similar triad to protect us from the complications of COVID-19. This includes masks, vaccinations, and yes, testing. Perhaps if we followed these guidelines, we may be out of what has become our national morose, better known as COVID fatigue. Tonight, as I said, we're going to be talking about testing for COVID-19. But we won't limit our conversation to just that. We're also going to talk a little bit about some other things related to COVID as far as vaccinations and using them. Our guest tonight is Dr. Emily Volk. Dr. Volk attended medical school at the University of Missouri in Kansas City and then did a pathology residency at the Cleveland Clinic Foundation in Cleveland, Ohio. She obtained special certification in surgical pathology with an emphasis on GI pathology, followed by a fellowship in cytology at the William Beaumont Hospital. She then got a master's in business administration at the University of Massachusetts in Amherst. And currently, for another couple of months, she is still the president-elect of the College of American Pathologists and will be resuming the role as president, I think, uh, just next year. Dr. Volk, welcome back to Senate on Health with Baptist Health. and It is glad to have you with us. Oh, well, thank you so much. I'm, I'm so glad to be here. And I do want to tell you, I have been sworn in as the president of the CAP, so I'm uh, delighted to be here in that capacity as well. So thank you very oh, much for the kind well, introduction. Please, please forgive me and congratulations. Oh, gosh, no, no worries at all. No worries and at I'm all. Call- I just know that my friends at the college would be upset with me if I didn't get that clear. So thank well, you. Well, we're going to have to tell them they have to update that that uh, web page because absolutely. I will, I'm going to call them myself tomorrow morning. <laughs> Good enough. Good enough. So tell me, so as being the, uh, your more important role, in addition to being an all around expert on everything pathological, tell me, you are also the chief medical officer over there at Baptist health Florida. What exactly does that mean you have to do? Oh, gosh, it's a, it's a wonderful uh, job. I get to work really closely with all the physicians and the uh, uh, providers over at uh, Baptist Health Floyd uh, to make sure that they are able to deliver the best possible care to the community of uh, southern Indiana, uh, Floyd County, Clark County, as possible. Uh, so uh, we work together to make sure uh, they have the tools that they need uh, to um 
you know, diagnose and treat those patients, and I, I serve as a bridge between the physicians and the administrative leadership of the hospital. Hmm. I consider myself something of a, of a translator between physicians and administrators. <laughs> well, you, you are now the messenger RNA of the healthcare world. Um, there you, you go. Know. When I was in medical school, it was said that if you knew syphilis, you knew medicine. Then I guess later on it became, if we understood, if you knew diabetes and all the permutations and problems that it can cause, you knew medicine. I would have to say that now with COVID-19, if you understand that, you can probably understand supply issues in the hospital, personnel management in the hospital, not to mention coordinating the myriad of lab, x-ray, and clinical services. Would that be about accurate? I, I think that that covers a lot of it. It sure does. I mean, one of the reasons I think that pathologists make really good chief medical officers is because the lab touches so many parts of medicine. You know, there there are hardly a patient that comes in the hospital without um, getting a laboratory test uh, or a biopsy of some kind. And, you know, pathologists who run those laboratories and hospitals uh, get the opportunity to work closely with not only hospital administration, but the doctors in the emergency department, the surgeons, the radiologists. Uh, you know, they, they have something to do with making sure the infections, uh, you know, are prevented in the hospital. And, uh, and they know a little bit about uh, pharmacy and therapeutics, so they get to serve on all these different committees. So I, I, I think it's a role that uh, is very suit, uh, suitable to uh, pathologists. Well, I'm glad to hear that. Um, now, tell me. So I, I talk about the importance of the really the three legs when we're talking about managing patients or keep, you know, when we're looking at preventing complications from COVID. You know, we have the vaccinations and we have the wearing of the mask. Uh, one may even want to talk about a little social distancing, but that's a different issue. Tell me about when we're talking about testing for COVID-19, what are the tests that are available and what are we really testing? Well, that's a great question. So when we're, we're talking about testing for COVID-19, you mentioned the military earlier. Uh, I, I think it's, you know, it's a terrifically important tool uh, that we have to keep the pandemic at bay and to keep it under control. Uh, you know, it's the way that we know where, how, where our enemy is hiding, right? I mean, the, the uh, testing for COVID-19 helps us know where the enemy is. And so, I, you know, I think it's terrifically important for folks who are experiencing symptoms that might be related to COVID-19 to get those, to get that testing done. Uh, there are a number of ways folks can test for the virus, um, and the most accurate uh, and reliable way is through uh, a test known as the PCR test, uh, which mm-hmm. stands for polymerase chain reaction, which is a super technical term. It simply refers to uh, a way that we're able to identify the virus through the virus's, um, essentially, its uh, nuclear brain, you know, its, it's nucleus. So, um, and that that is really fantastic because we can use the DNA or RNA in the virus, depending on what kind of a virus it is, and amplify that and then use that genetic code to uh, pinpoint what exactly the virus is. So 
that PCR testing uh, or uh, molecular testing for um, the uh, uh, virus is the most accurate and reliable, and it's done in a in a big laboratory with very mm-hmm. fancy equipment um, on the. Uh, uh, with uh, very fancy equipment, with the oversight of pathologists, and uh, with very uh, highly expert technical uh, laboratory folks. Mm-hmm. So there is also uh, antigen testing, which doesn't look for the virus's uh, nucleic acid, but it actually looks for a, a part of the virus, a protein on the virus. And that testing, excuse me, that testing mm-hmm. is not as reliable or as accurate as that uh, molecular or PCR testing, uh, but it can be useful because it uh, does not necessarily have to be done in a uh, laboratory, and that is actually uh, one of the tools that can be used in at-home testing. And so mm-hmm. most at-home tests are so-called antigen tests. Um, the the trick with these tests is they are like I say they're not quite as reliable and not quite as accurate as that um, more involved molecular test. Uh, but again, the convenience of it can be useful to folks. Um, the thing about doing at home testing though is you've got to follow those directions really really carefully to get the mm-hmm. best possible result. Um, you you know you have to be careful how many drops of the liquid that's in the test kit you put onto the uh, test strip. You have mm-hmm. to make sure that you uh, watch that test strip closely and don't let it sit any longer than the allotted time in the instructions. You know I'm uh, over fifty years old, so I've got to pull out my readers to read the instructions in the first place. So it's it, you really have to devote a lot of attention if you're going to use an at home test to make sure that you're getting the best possible result. And then what I would also tell you, tell folks is if they are using that test, if the results don't line up with how they're feeling, that is, if they get a negative test but they still feel pretty lousy, they probably should follow that up with a visit to, the, uh, to a physician in urgent care or if they're sick enough, an emergency department, uh, and uh, get a more accurate test um, as appropriate and seek the medical care that they need. Mm-hmm. Well, what There's about, a whole nother. Yeah, yeah, go, sorry, ahead. go ahead. Sorry. No, no, go ahead, because I think you're about ready to. Uh, in fact, tell you what, hold on for that. We're going to take a short break, and when we come back, I think we're going to talk about the antibody test. I think that's what you're getting ready to get into. I just want to remind everyone you're listening to Centered on Health with Baptist Health on News Radio 840 WHAS. Our phone number, if you want to be part of the conversation, is 502-571-8484. And if you call that number, you'll have a chance to talk with Dr. Emily Volk as we're talking about why COVID testing is still important. I look forward to talking to you after this short break. Welcome back to Centered on Health with Baptist Health on News Radio 840 WHAS. Tonight, we're talking about why COVID testing is still important, and our guest is Dr. Emily Volk. She is the Chief Medical Officer at Baptist Health Floyd. Our phone number, if you wish to be part of the conversation, is 502-571-8484. Dr. Volk, I interrupted you. You were going to talk about another type of test that's available for us for COVID-19. 
Oh, gosh, Dr. Tuxin, it's no problem at all. Um, I, I was going to talk about uh, antibody testing. That's yes. the third kind of testing. So we, we talked about viral molecular testing um, where, where it's very specific and sensitive and done in a, a big uh, fancy laboratory. Uh, then we talked about antigen testing, which is a little less reliable, but uh, folks can potentially do this at home through an at-home testing kit that they can buy uh, at the drugstore if they can find them. And then the third kind is the antibody test or serology test is the other term for this. And this is looking for evidence of exposure uh, to uh, the virus and the body's reaction to that exposure. And so uh, antibody tests actually look for the um, molecules called antibodies uh, that are body's immune system through a particular kind of cell called a, a B cell uh, that, uh, you know, just like the, just like the letter B, uh, produce uh, when uh, they are exposed to a virus or a bacteria. And antibodies uh, are one of the one of the body's uh, key immunity uh, components, uh, and they imprint uh, one on that uh, virus or that bacteria that they're exposed to. And then the next time uh, a person is exposed to that virus uh, or that uh, bacteria, the body remembers it, uh, and they trot out clones of these antibodies and, and fight the virus. Um, the thing about antibody testing is some folks have been wanting to get it after they get uh, the vaccine to make sure that their body has responded appropriately to that vaccine. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're, we're really telling uh, folks that in general, that's not necessary, that if you're if you've gotten a vaccine, uh, according to the guidelines, uh, that most folks really don't need to be ordering a, or requesting a an antibody test to make sure that they are appropriately immunized uh, from the uh, COVID nineteen virus. Mm-hmm. That, that's an interesting point that you raised. But I thought one of the things where we we're looking about the possible need and I hate to use the word booster, but that seems to be the word that everyone is most familiar, even though it's continuation of uh, of your vaccination process. But one of the things talking about needing the so-called third shot, if you've gotten the, um, you know, the Pfizer and Moderna and the second shot for Johnson Johnson, is that mm-hmm. the antibody levels were going down and therefore we needed to kick the immune system back up. So are you suggesting that that might not be the whole story? Uh, well, what I'm suggesting is that the uh, what are called semi-quantitative, which means sort of partially uh, uh, measuring antibody levels, uh, mm-hmm. those tests, the semi-quantitative antibody tests that are available on the commercial market, so that are available for physicians to use on patients, mm-hmm. uh, are really not designed to give an, uh, a specific uh, measurement of how much antibody uh, the uh, patients have, and we're still trying to figure out what that mm-hmm. exact titer or that level of antibody is is necessary for uh, protection. Gotcha. Um, so, you know, researchers 
uh, have different tools, of course, than we have uh, for uh, the general public. Uh, so these tests that we're talking about are, you know, different than the uh, bevy of tools that the researcher using researchers use to test the uh, effectiveness of the vaccine. Now, we are very clear that the vaccine works. I mean, there is no doubt about it, right? I mean, the the results are absolutely 100% clear. If you get the vaccine, you are much, much, much less likely to have serious side effects, complications, or even long COVID uh, once you're properly vaccinated versus those who are not. Mm. So there really is just no need to double check uh, using the commercially available antibody tests, uh, whether or not you are f- appropriately vaccinated or appropriately protected after you've received all of the vaccines that have been recommended for you. If a person is concerned about being infected who has previously had a vaccination, which test mm-hmm. then do you recommend that they use? If they, if a person feels like they are currently infected mm-hmm. uh, with COVID-19, the best test for them to get is a viral molecular or PCR test okay. uh, from a, a CAP accredited laboratory. So a, a laboratory that is, um, you know, gone, gotten the good housekeeping seal of approval uh, and is overseen by physicians. Hmm. So if a person does go in, Let's take two different scenarios if we can. Uh, let us take the individual who has not been vaccinated and they get, um, they do the at-home antibody test. What mm-hmm. should their next step be? So let's say this is an I, individual who has yeah, been exposed to someone and they feel a little sick. Mm-hmm. Well, if an individual feels uh, a little sick and they want to take that at-home test, uh, they, you know, again, follow those instructions to the letter. Uh, if that test comes back negative uh, mm-hmm. for the virus, but but they are sick, uh, of course they want to stay away from the from the public. Mm-hmm. They need to quarantine, yes. right? They need mm-hmm. to call their doctor, uh, and uh, they need to uh, that you know arrange to have a full-on molecular PCR-based test. Uh, and, you know, that's run in a accredited laboratory hmm. to make sure that that antigen test they took at home wasn't giving them a false negative reading, okay. yeah, which will happen from time to time. So that would be the first thing that I would recommend somebody do. Hmm. Um, if somebody does, and I think this may be a little easier, but if a person who has been vaccinated and has been close to someone who has um, been ill, but they themselves are asymptomatic, and they do uh, an antigen test, and they test positive. What should that person do then? Same thing. Uh, well, they they probably they they probably have uh, the virus, mm-hmm. um, and they they need to quarantine uh, for the appropriate amount of time. And I would recommend they let their doctor know. Mm-hmm. Now, the good news is, if they've been this person you described as being vaccinated. Uh, the likelihood of them requiring hospitalization uh, or, you know, developing uh, an illness serious enough to be- require uh, being on a ventilator uh, and potentially developing those long COVID symptoms 
mm-hmm. uh, are the likelihood of that is far less for that vaccinated individual. Okay. Uh, I, I want to know about the other side of the coin. If a person has not been vaccinated and they have been around someone who is suspected of having had COVID, but they test negative on the antibody test and they feel good and the antibody test was negative. Are they good to go or do they need to do oh, something gosh. else? They, and they get the antibody test? Yeah, they do. Yeah, well, they do an antibody I see. Test. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, okay. So, so first of all, with the... Um, uh, that is not a good enough test, first okay. of all. So they don't have mm-hmm. enough information yet. Okay. Second of all, if somebody does uh, develop COVID, um, it takes a couple of weeks, usually at least 14 days, for their body to register uh, an immune response that we can pick up on an antibody test. Okay. So if they have just been exposed, um, that antibody test uh, would not be likely to register uh, a body's immune response because that body, that person's body hasn't had time to mount that response. If, if, they, did the home, if they did the home antigen test and it came back negative, they're good to go? I wouldn't think so. I, I would hmm. think that that person uh, would want to uh, get a full-on laboratory-based PCR viral test. Well, hold Just that to thought make for- sure. I would get the whole enchilada. Absolutely. <laughs> Sounds good. Sounds good. Well, a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about enchiladas and GERD, but I don't think we have to worry about that this time. Uh, I just want to remind everybody, we're going to take a short break. We're, you're listening to Centered on Health with Baptist Health on News Radio 840 WHAS. Uh, tonight's topic is why COVID testing is still important. And our guest is Dr. Emily Volk, who's Chief Medical Officer of Baptist Health Floyd. When we come back, we're going to talk about Uh, is testing a substitute for vaccination? We look forward to hearing from you. Give us a call, 502-571-8484. Welcome back to Centered on Health with Baptist Health on News Radio 840 WHAS. I'm your host, Dr. Wayne Tuxen. Tonight, we're talking about why COVID testing is still important. And our guest is Dr. Emily Volk, who's the Chief Medical Officer at Baptist Health Floyd. If you would like to be part of our conversation, please give us a call at 502-571-8484. Dr. Volk, I wonder if you would talk to me about a lot of these pro uh, athletes, pro leagues, uh, NBA in particular, um, they set up almost like a bubble for their athletes, and many of the athletes don't want to get vaccinated, but instead they want to go through regular uh, testing uh, for COVID-19. Can you tell me, in your opinion, about the effectiveness? And is this really a substitute in terms of protecting not only the individual who doesn't want to get vaccinated, but everybody else from getting COVID-19? I think. You know, it would not be the choice I, I would make. Uh, and if my uh, son or daughter were playing professional sports, I would recommend that they get the vaccine. Um, I'm sorry these athletes uh, have decided not to get the vaccine. That being said, um, you know, the one thing that uh, they are doing to keep at least their colleagues protected is to get that uh, regular testing done. Uh, and as I understand it, it's uh, generally speaking on a weekly basis, but it may be more frequent uh, as as prescribed by the team doctor. Hmm. 
But, but you know, it's so still, still it's go ahead, please, go ahead. I'm sorry. It's it's. Uh, I would just say it's definitely not an equivalent solution. It's not as safe as getting the vaccine, in my opinion. Hmm. Yeah, it, it seems as though we're um, once the person has fallen off the cliff, we're going to do everything we can to try to save the individual. Uh, at or we're going to take a picture and say, well, you know, here we have the reason why you've fallen because there's no fence at the top of the hill. Uh, it, it seems like it's too little too late we're missing the boat uh and it potentially could be more expensive to the individual in terms of the impact on their life and or career you know it's it, yeah it, it's interesting to me that you know we are seeing uh unvaccinated patients come to the hospital and they're happy to get uh you know these new uh drugs that we have to fight uh, the COVID 19 uh virus uh, drugs that we did not have, you know, uh, two years ago, right, mm-hmm. before we saw COVID-19. Um, and uh, they're unwilling to get these new vaccines. Um, I, I'm hoping that more and more folks will uh, realize that the vaccine is the safest and best way to go. It, it is kind of interesting about that. Um there has been a couple of hospitals that I've seen, one in Florida, where they even raised the question, because there's a limited supply of drugs like Regeneron and others, the monoclonal antibodies for treatment of patients, do you treat the patient who was unvaccinated and comes out with COVID, or do you go with the patient who was vaccinated and had a breakthrough infection? Which one, if you have a limited supply of medication? Now, I'm not suggesting this is something that Baptist Health would entertain, but that has got to be something when you have a limited amount of resources to treat people that has that may or may not be in taken into account. Have you heard discussions about this? Again, not necessarily within the Baptist system, but otherwise? Sure. I, I've absolutely heard, uh, you know, physicians and uh, nurses have these discussions. You know, what if? Um, happily, uh, you know, I haven't uh, personally witnessed a situation where we had to make those kinds of difficult choices. Yeah. Um, the bottom line is uh, the vaccines uh, we know work. Uh, I like to tell people it's, uh, you know, it's like pouring water on kindling. Uh, hmm. You know, if you're building a fire, you know, we're getting into fall here and it's getting a little chilly outside and folks are starting to build fires in their homes and uh, so, you know, the, the vaccine really serves to essentially water down that wood, uh, making it much harder to light mm. that fire, if you will. And although you can still light a fire with wet wood, it's just mm. a whole lot harder and it doesn't burn as hot, right? Uh, and uh, hopefully, you know, if one person who's listening tonight uh, decides, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and get that vaccine because it's going to potentially save my life or save the life of a loved one, um, I would just know that this conversation was worth every minute. Well, I got to tell you, using that analogy with watering down the kindling uh, is one of the best ones I've heard for explaining that. And I want to thank you very much. And I hope everyone takes that as a good take-home point. Um, Would you tell me uh, the importance, and you kind of touched on it a little bit, uh, proper technique in collecting a specimen to be sure that we have a true positive or even a true negative. In other words, that the person who tests negative, it really is negative, or the person who tests positive, they really are positive for the disease, for the, you know, for the virus. So you're talking about collecting the specimen when you're... Yes, ma'am. Uh, yes, ma'am. Somebody's yeah, getting yeah. swabbed? 
Yeah. Oh my gosh. The back of the brain, boy. <laughs> right, right. Um, well, those—that's one of the reasons those swabs uh, typically have to go back so far to make sure that we we harvest um, a, a good sample and increase the chances of uh, picking up that virus. Now, the at-home test. Uh, don't have uh, those swabs that go way back into the uh, deepest reaches of our uh, nasal passages uh, because, you know, you really want to only collect those kinds of specimens with a experienced uh, healthcare provider. Um, and that's one of the reasons I believe those uh, antigen tests that you do at home are not quite as sensitive uh, as the uh, tests that you would get in a doctor's office uh, that are sent to a to a clinical laboratory. Mm-hmm. So technique does play a role in everything that we do. Absolutely, it does. Would you recommend um, if someone has signs and symptoms of of COVID and do you then recommend that family members or coworkers should get tested or should it be until they have some manifestation of, uh, of illness? Well, if someone thinks they've had a, a significant exposure, uh, they absolutely should. First of all, they should let their employers know. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, uh, I imagine their employers would want them to stay at home uh, until uh, they figure out if they are at risk for spreading the illness. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, those individuals who've had a significant exposure to somebody, you know, and that is, you know, without a mask for, uh, you know, a matter of uh, more than a few minutes, uh they may absolutely want to seek testing, and I'd recommend they seek the viral uh, testing. That, as I said before the break, you know, the full ancillata uh, viral PCR testing that's run in a clinical laboratory. What about someone who has been uh, doing some traveling? They've been on an airplane or in an airport, et cetera. Do you recommend that that individual get tested? You know, I, I think it's uh, it's not a bad idea, especially if they're going to uh, be around folks who are unvaccinated uh, and and be in a situation where they won't be socially distanced uh, from those individuals. Um, you know, testing can be a useful tool uh, to identify uh, asymptomatic carriers and, and folks who've been traveling may believe, you know, may have found their, themselves in a high-risk situation. So uh, mm-hmm. it's certainly something that, that could be useful. Okay. I want to remind everyone, we're going to take a short break here, that you're listening to Senate on Health with Baptist Health on News Radio 840 WHAS. I want to also let you know that if you want to hear this show again, because it is a very interesting one, at least I think so, or you want to hear past shows on Centered on Health with Baptist Health, or hear some of the other wonderful programming on the iHeartRadio network, download the iHeart app. It is free and allows you access to everything on the iHeart network. Next week, we're going to be talking about diabetes with Dr. Vazdolf Lohano, who's an endocrinologist, and that is always an interesting topic to hear about. You're again listening to Senate on Health with Baptist Health. Tonight, we're talking about why COVID testing is still important with Dr. Emily Volk. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the development of vaccines, some of the myths and realities. I look forward to talking to you after this break.
Welcome back to Center on Health with Baptist Health on News Radio 840 WHAS. I'm your host, Dr. Wayne Tuxen. Our guest is Dr. Emily Volk, who's the Chief Medical Officer at Baptist Health Florida, and we're talking about why COVID testing is still important. Dr. Volk, would you discuss with us a little bit um, about vaccine hesitancy? I know that there are many, many reasons why people are reluctant, but one of those that seems to be coming up quite frequently is that there's a concern that the vaccine was developed in aborted fetal cells. Um, could you talk a little bit about that? Oh, gosh. Uh, yeah, this, uh, you know, this has come up as a, a concern uh, for uh, some of the folks I've talked to about why they're not anxious to get the vaccine. Um, it seems that, um, you know, uh, Folks who are, you know, very interested in, um, you know, consider themselves pro-life, you know, uh, and uh, have strong feelings about uh, elective abortion, which I certainly respect people's perspectives on that, um, have uh, raised a concern about a certain kind of immortalized uh, cell culture called uh, HEK293, uh, which, you know, you can read about on the Internet. Um, and it turns out this is an, it's a, uh, it's a tool that, um, has really been wonderful for advancement of science and, and development of safe pharmaceuticals for, uh, human beings since the early 1970s, uh, where, uh, cell cultures from human tissue are, uh, able to be kept alive, uh, for, kept, kept growing, not alive, mm-hmm. but kept growing so they can be used to, uh, test, um, new medicines, uh, to see if, uh, they, uh, how they respond to human uh, tissue cultures. One of these uh, cell lines, like I said, is called HEK293, um, and that stands for Human Embryonic Kidney uh, Number 293, and that was the 293rd experiment that uh, a, a researcher named Alex Vandereb in the Netherlands uh, did uh, to um, keep these cells going. So this particular cell line, this ATK-293, has been used since the early 1970s to test a myriad, I mean, thousands and thousands of pharmaceuticals. Um, some of these things include, you know, Tylenol and Tums and uh, uh, Pepsid, you know, drugs that we take for granted over the counter. We use them every day. And the concern is that since these cells are from a, so, you know, from a human embryo, they must have come from an elective abortion. Um, and in fact, what we what we do know is that um, in the early 1970s in the Netherlands, where these uh, where this cell culture was started, um, there were no elective abortions that were legal. There were none. So this researcher, by you know, most likely did not uh, you know retrieve these cells from uh, an elective abortion because those weren't happening in the Netherlands in the early 70s. This likely came from uh, someone who miscarried. Uh, And, you know, out of that tragedy of that miscarried uh, pregnancy uh, came this miracle, uh, in my opinion, for for humankind that we have this immortalized cell line from this uh, 
from this one situation that has, again, I mean, just made a huge difference in making uh, available safe pharmaceuticals uh, for, you know, many, many different reasons. You know, there there is... So, you know, some folks are saying, well, I can't use, you know, I can't get vaccinated because they were tested on, you know, aborted fetuses. That, um, you know, in my opinion, that that really, I don't think that really tells the full story. And I don't think it represents um, the kinds of cells that were used in the testing of the vaccines and so many other drugs. Uh, and I think it, I think it creates fear where really, uh, folks should put that fear towards COVID-19 uh, rather than the way this, these life-saving vaccines were developed. That's my opinion. Are there any fetal cells in vaccines that people are getting? No. There are absolutely no fetal cells in vaccines that people are getting. Uh, the COVID-19 vaccines are, are not made with fetal cells, period. I know that there was a hospital down in Arkansas where they kind of said to people who did not want to sign, who did not want to take the vaccines, uh, they made them sign a pledge then that they would not take a whole list of medications, some of which you've already alluded to, to say, okay, because these all were developed along that same. And I thought that was an interesting approach. And again, I'm not denying anyone's right to say that um, they're concerned over aborted cells, and being used or the cells obtained from aborted fetuses. But that just because a cell is obtained from fetal tissue doesn't necessarily mean it's aborted, does it? In my opinion, it does not. And, uh, you know, and I, I think, um, you know, these, these are difficult decisions that people have to make. uh, And, you know, we want to respect folks uh, ability to make those decisions. Um, But, you know, I, 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 I hope that um, more people than not will will choose to get the vaccine to save their life now and mm-hmm. save the lives of their loved ones now, um, and uh, really make way for future generations to thrive and be healthy. Mm. So. What do you say as, you know, we, we only have a couple of more minutes left in here. Um, in fact, what do you say to someone when they say, I need to see more testing before I make up my mind on getting the vaccine? I, uh, you know, I try to, I try to keep an open mind and I try to be patient um, because, you know, you know, we're living in some pretty tough times right now, and the last thing we need is more divisiveness. You know, um, as a physician, I'm interested in as many people, uh, pre- you know, preventing as many people from getting sick as possible and then facilitating people getting well once they get sick, right? And it's, and, and our focus is saving as many lives as possible, Um if we if we shut down the conversation because we you know disagree with somebody and their decision, uh, we're not going to get anywhere. You know, we're not going to save lives. So mm-hmm. I, I think it's really critical for you know for us to listen to folks who are vaccine hesitant uh, and try to keep that conversation going. Because I have seen cases where folks will. Uh, change their mind once they have a little bit more information. So really, it's it's a question of what 
what thing is concerning them that they want more information on or what what thing do they want more evidence of uh, to make them feel comfortable enough to receive the vaccine. Thank you very much, Dr. Volk. It's been a pleasure talking to you again. And I want to let you know, you've been listening to Center on Health with Baptist Health here on News Radio 840 WHS. Next week, we're going to talk about diabetes with our guest, Dr. Vazdef Lohano. I hope that you can join us. And I do hope that you take to heart all the good advice that Dr. Volk has given us, talking about different tests, when to get the test, and how the vaccine has been developed. I'm Dr. Tuxin. I want to thank you very much for being with us again. And I look forward to talking to you again next week on Senate on Health with Baptist Health. This program is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as medical advice. The content of this program is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. This show is not designed to replace a physician's medical assessment and medical judgment. Always seek the advice of your physician with any questions or concerns you may have related to your personal health or regarding specific medical conditions. To find a Baptist health provider, please visit baptisthealth.com. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.